0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, episode 237. I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and this show is sponsored by LoserPool.com. Head over there, play the last man standing game. It's great fun, and uh, you have a great opportunity of winning up to £1,000. It's a fantastic game, fantastic opportunity. So head over there, check them out, and of course, we thank them for their kind sponsorship, as always. Going to be looking back at the Everton game. Normally, we try and bring these reviews out on a Monday uh, but unfortunately due to work and and a load of other things like me having the dirtiest hangover I've had in probably the last 10 years um I've, I've struggled to get going at the beginning of this week I've got to be honest but now we're back on track um we're, we're back on target and we're looking uh, back at that game with a calm ahead now because I guess you know being the way I was I probably wouldn't have delivered a, a good review a strong review so um I pride myself on trying to put out the best quality, even if you don't think it is. Um, I, I always want to know that I've uh, made the best effort. So let's look back at the game against Everton. And there are, of course, a few talking points uh, to begin with. We're going to start off with uh, Mikel Arteta's team selection. Um, Mustafi and David Luiz at centre-back, as we expected. Sergei next though, came in at left-back. And unfortunately for him, he picked up a, a injury that looks pretty serious and an injury that could keep him out for a while now. Um, Disappointing that because I think in Mikel Arteta's mind, he wanted to rest Bukayo Saka. There is a real danger with young players like Saka that you can burn them out, that you can overplay them and you can become over-reliant on them. And Bukayo Saka for me, you know, he's done excellent um, so far, put in a fantastic cross for Enketia's goal, which we'll come on to in a little bit. But defensively, he looked a little bit shaky and he was a little bit sloppy in possession at times at the weekend. And I put that purely down to the kid being overplayed. Of course, he made the trip to Olympiacos. He played in that game. Um, and as I said, it is through no fault of anybody's because I know Mikel Arteta didn't want to start him. Otherwise, he would have. Um, he brought Say Kalasinach back into the side with the hope that he would get us through that game and Bukayo could get the break that he needed. But unfortunately, circumstances didn't allow that. And so Saka uh, was forced to come on pretty early on, much earlier than Mikel Arteta would have hoped. Anyway, Um, so in terms of the midfield, uh, Mikel Arteta went with Danny Ceballos alongside Granit Xhaka, and we saw him do that in the game against Newcastle United. And what that meant was that we were a lot more progressive. Um, we were moving the ball forward quicker because we've seen when it's Torreira, when it's Gendouzi, sometimes we can be accused of playing sideways football a little bit too much. So it was nice to see Ceballos back in there. I thought in the first 10 or 15 minutes or so, Everton were really putting it about physically. And as a result of that, um, Ceballos looked a little bit lost. And I I don't mean lost in the sense of when he had the ball at his feet, because we know what a talented player he is. We know that he can pick out a pass that he's got the confidence to try a skill, a turn, etc. But what I mean by that is, you know, the likes of Schneiderlin, Fabian Delph, uh, you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson even, they can put themselves about. And they really got in the faces of the Arsenal midfield early on. But once Arsenal weathered that first 10, 15-minute storm, you saw a massive difference in Sabayas' performance. And we almost saw a different side to Sobias. We saw him wake up. We saw him realise that actually this is the Premier League and I know it's an old cliche that people like to use, but you've got to earn the right to play in this league. And Danny Ceballos did that um, afterwards. He started getting stuck in, putting himself about the effort, went up a tenfold. And I was really, really pleased to see that he does have a dogged side, that he does have a tenacity to his game. And where people worry about, you know, taking Terreira out of there to put Sabios in there, I think Sabios went a long way in persuading people that he can be that man in that deeper role. Um, that's not to say that, I think that Arteta's is going to do that when we go to Manchester City or when we go to Liverpool or, or, you know, those big, big games. I don't think we're at that point yet, but I think, you know, when you're at home, there's no problem in having Danny Sabayas in there because... What he does is he unlocks, of course, Mesut Ozil as well. He played further forward. Um, Mesut Ozil does get in between the lines. We've always said this. He always gets in those positions. But when Danny Sabas is in the side, the ball seems to get to him quicker, and people find him in those areas, and that's where he can do damage. And even if it's a one-touch pass or a layoff, or he's taking people away um, from the others, that's that's what it's all about. And and Danny Sabayos, of course, makes Mesut Ozil look a far better player too. On the flanks, Nicola Pepe started on the right, and on the left, it was Pierre-Emerick Abameyang with Eddie Nketiah through the middle. Now, let's start off at the beginning of the game. It was a really, 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 really frustrating start to the game. The ball come into the box. Um, David Lewis has the opportunity to head it clear, but he hesitates. And it's almost as though he got caught in between a rock and a hard place. It was, do I head this clear? Do I try and head it? you know left do I try and head it out what you know he just got caught in two minds and as a result he ended up doing neither and unfortunately for Arsenal Dominic Calvert-Lewin was on hand to to punish them and I've said that people um you know I've seen people talking about Calvert-Lewin's finish and talking about it being a a potential foul because his foot was so high look I'm not in a place where I want to see goals ruled out for that um Particularly when it's an excellent finish. Yes, it was against Arsenal this time. And in an ideal world, you know, we don't want to see that. Um, But am I going to stand here and make a massive issue about it and claim a foul? No, I'm not, because I think that um, Dominic Calvert Lewin has a right to go for it. He does go for it and he finishes it excellently. And you've got to give him credit for that. Um, But then, of course, Arsenal responded and they responded brilliantly. And it was the two young once again showing what they're all about uh bukayo saka coming down the left-hand side and he puts a wonderful ball into the box for eddie and ketia whose finish was sensational now perhaps people don't realize what a difficult finish that is i'm not saying everybody doesn't realize but i think it you look at it and you think yeah he's just diverted the ball into the net but to time your run to time your movement to execute and to strike the ball in the spot that he did from a, a powerful cross like that is excellent. And Bukayo Saka deserves a lot of credit because as I was talking about assists on, on the last episode, I love the fact that I, I love it when a cross comes in and I used to play as a striker. I used to love it when a cross come in. that I didn't have to do much with. And what I mean by that is I don't have to put my foot for it. I don't have to smash it. All I have to do is concentrate on directing the ball into the right part of the goal. And that's all Eddie Nketiah had to do because the cross from Bukayo Saka was incredible. Pace, power, precision, and made Eddie Nketiah's life really easy. All he had to do, like I said, was focus on diverting that ball into that far corner, and he did it excellently and put Arsenal back on level terms. Um, Then we move on to the next goal, which was uh, the the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang goal, the first one. Um, And what people, you know, David Lewis had an absolute brain fart moment for the first goal, um, for Everton's first goal. And it's not acceptable and he does it too often. And and I get all of that. But David Lewis then showed what he is all about. And for me, David Lewis is a progressive centre-back, maybe not the best defender, but he has got that vision and he has got that ability to spot something and act on it. You know, he's not one of these centre-backs that, won't take responsibility that will give it to his midfielder because he doesn't want to take the risk. David Luiz sees Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang down that flank on his bike and he plays the pass immediately. And what a fantastic pass it was. Perfectly into Aubameyang's stride, the right pace put in the through the right channel. Everything about it was brilliant. And Aubameyang's finish was Thierry Henry-esque, the way he took the touch, opened his body up and fired it into that far corner. And, you know, the, the Emirates were up on their feet, thrilled by both goals, um, both those first-half goals, particularly the Obamiang for me because it was classic Arsenal. It was seeing an Arsenal defender get the ball, look up, see the, sh- the forward on his bike and making that pass. And people talk about tiki-taka football and that you want to see, you know, 20, 30 passes in the build-up to a goal. And that's great. Of course it is. It takes a lot of ability. But it just threw me back to the Arsene Wenger days. You remember when Arsene Wenger first came in and it was always like, You'd watch the, the the game on TV and they'd be talking about how long, how many seconds it took Arsenal to get from their own penalty area to put in the ball in the other team's net. And that used to really excite me to see that directness and the fact we could transition so quickly. And just seeing a glimpse of that again, it really excited me. I've got to say, I was really, really thrilled by that. Really pleased um, by that. Um, so really happy to see it. Then, of course, half-time came and Arsenal, of course, in the lead. And you're thinking, you know, we've done really well here to turn this around. And then we switch off again. Um, And this time, there's a lot of people having a go at Bern Leno about this, um, about this second goal. I don't particularly think that Bern Leno was solely to blame. I think the defence of... Well, the defence cannot allow, um, you know, players... To what am I talking about? It was in the first half, wasn't it? It was in the first half, um, you know. But I'm just thinking back to it, I'm just thinking about Richarlison running into the corner of the North Bank to celebrate. My apologies, it was in the first half, I'm still drunk. Um, but just seeing that ball come over and and, and you know, the, the lack of challenge and the lack of urgency to get it clear, and, and the fact that Richarlison is allowed into the position, he is completely unmarked. Is a worry but then in burn from burn Leno's perspective I think he's got to do more and people will slate me for saying this but I think burn Leno's got to do more in that situation I think he's got to be a little bit more aggressive in coming and confronting the forward he doesn't do that for me he's a little bit passive and that's a real problem um am I saying that he would have saved it probably not because he shouldn't save it from that distance the striker should be scoring but it just felt like it was all a little bit half-hearted, all a little bit lacklustre, and that Arsenal could have done more um, to prevent that goal. Not just Burnley another defenders, too. Um, but, yeah, it just felt like it was too easy, far too easy for Everton, um, and a really, really disappointing way to essentially throw away a lead that we'd fought so hard to, to regain or to, to get after going behind early on. Um, so I thought Arsenal did really well to to get back into that position and so then to throw it away was really really frustrating and one of the good things that we've seen under Mikel Arteta is Arsenal's um ability to recover from setbacks pretty quickly um and you know to believe in the system it's as though they all believe in what Mikel Arteta is asking them to do they trust in it and so even when they do go behind heads don't drop because they feel like they can get back in the game if they only stick to what Mikel Arteta is asking them to do, they believe in it. They have faith in it, and that is something that we didn't see under the previous manager, and something that I believe is really, really important. So we go in at the break, two-two. Um, somewhat frustrated because you know we've we've got ourselves into that leading position, having gone behind, and then we've been pegged back again by another poor goal. And you know, Arsenal are gonna are gonna concede goals. We know that. We know that we don't have let's say, top-class defensive talent. I think we're all aware of that. I don't think anybody denies that. But it's when it's the basics that are letting you down that you can't help but get really, really frustrated. And whilst I was frustrated at the break on Sunday, the positive I took from it at the time was that we looked very um, fluid and, and very potent going forward. And we looked that way against Newcastle in the second half as well. So there is obviously an improvement in that element. Um you know and and i think that the improvement is come maybe because danny sabayos has been playing in that team um because he allows arsenal to get the ball forward a lot quicker um he's able to pick out passes a lot sooner um and i think him and granite jack complement each other quite well actually um again i'm not saying that i would go away from home against some of the biggest sides and rely on on danny sabayos and granite jack playing us uh, through other people's midfields because i think we'll get unstuck um, but I think that, you know, in games at home in particular, it's not a bad option. It gives Mikel Arteta another option. And I think we all thought that Danny Saballos would probably be frozen out by Mikel Arteta because when he first came in, he wasn't getting a look. And I know he was injured, but when he returned to fitness, um, he still wasn't quite getting a look in. There was talk about him leaving, there was talk about him being unhappy. There was talks about the manager and the player having a discussion. It seems those discussions have gone well, and it seems that Mikel Arteta has seen something from Danny Sabas on the training field that makes him believe that he can be a solution. Um, and what does that say? It says that Mikel Arteta is fair in the sense that he will give players the opportunities if they are shown the right, right things in training. And it also shows that Danny Sabas has got a work ethic. And, and Danny Sabas is not one of those... Um, you know, pre as he's come from Real Madrid and he feels that he automatically has a right to play. He's shown that he's he'll get stuck in and he's he's buckled down and he's, he's got on with his work and he's he's seen the benefit of that now. And I think he was one of Arsenal's better players. Are there areas in which he can improve? Yes. Um, Graham says in the comments, actually it was Sebas being stupid, giving a foul away in a dangerous area in the first minute that caused the problem. I agree. Um, but I think when you play that deep midfield role, you're always going to be put in situations where you need to make fouls because, unfortunately, you are the last line of defence prior to them getting onto your centre-backs. And in an ideal world, you know, that role is to protect those centre-backs. And so you're going to make fouls at some point in another. Was it a stupid foul? Probably, yes. Was it unnecessary? Maybe. But Arsenal have still got to defend the set-piece better, in my opinion. And if you go back in football and you keep finding, you know, you could say... 10 passes before this goal went in so and so conceded a free kick or so and so gave it away I think you get in a cycle of just looking for someone to blame at that point and you know I'm not taking a massive issue with that um in my view it's not that big a deal I think that um you're going to give away fouls in that position and and unfortunately for the, the the team need to be able to defend better than that and they just showed that, that they couldn't do that on the day um one other point I want to make it's um, kind of a, a slightly longer point is I feel like Arsenal's team at the moment um, are just a little bit lopsided. And I've made this comment a little bit in the, in the last couple of days and people have been asking me sort of what I mean by that. Um, why do I say that the team are lopsided? Um, you know, where have I got that from? And I'm going to show you guys um, using a little uh, a little diagram what I mean by that. Um, I haven't planned to do this, so I haven't got all their names in place. For those of you watching on YouTube, But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you um, via this uh, uh, tactics screen what I'm trying to say. And and I want to hear what you guys think. Do you agree with me? Do you think that I have a point here? Um, it's an observation that I've made on Arsenal for quite a while now since Mikel Alteta took over and this is not a criticism of him I want to be clear on that Um, but it's something that I think Carlo Ancelotti spotted at the weekend and I think it's one of the reasons Everton created so many chances against us and had so much joy at the weekend so if I just show you on your screens now for those of you um, watching on YouTube you'll see um, I've put us in the sort of Almost a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, three, three, whatever you want to call it, formation that Arsenal seem to be taking up more often than not now. Of course, you've got um, Messer Erzil here. Uh, you've got Pepe out on the right. Um, this is how we lined up at the weekend. Of course, Aubameyang uh, on the left-hand side. Eddie Nketiah was playing through the middle. Uh, the midfield pivot was Granite Xhaka alongside Danny Ceballos. And then I'm going to go with Saka here because he obviously played the majority of the game. Uh, David Lewis at the back alongside Godran Mustafi. And then on the right, we had, of course, Hector Bayer in. Uh, Bernd was, of course, the goalkeeper on Sunday. So that is how we lined up at the weekend. Um, and what, what, what I mean by this is I think Arsenal have identified that we're not as strong on the right-hand side as we are on the left-hand side. And I think this is making us a little bit lopsided. Now, what I mean by this is not just necessarily the two players on the flank. So I'm not just talking about Bellerin and Pepe or Saka and Aubameyang. It's the whole way that the team shift and morph into positions um, at certain points in the game. Now, Arsenal, of course, want to get Aubameyang coming into these positions. You want to see Aubameyang drifting inside from the left into the penalty area to support the centre forward. And he done that so effectively at the weekend, of course. For the third goal, which I haven't really spoken about yet, he makes that drift, doesn't he, into the box? The ball comes over from Pepe, and there he is to head it home. So he made that run into the box. But what that does is that is making that run. It sort of it, but him going inside like that, it creates space on the flank for Bukayo Saka to expose, and he comes up and down there you know, you see Mesut Erzil sometimes pulling out here as well, which we, we know he likes to do. But for me, it's all about the, the fullback bombing on and creating that overload um, and making it really, really difficult for the fullback in particular, because what does he do? Does he track Aubameyang into the centre? Does he pass him on to the centre-back? Passing him on to the centre-back is dangerous because often when players pass on players to someone else, that's when they get lost. That's when they're able to get free. But then, if the fullback goes with him, is then exposed that space for Bukayo Saka to move into the left back or whoever it is at the time. But what Arsenal have done really well under Mikel Arteta that wasn't necessarily happening under Unai Emery, because we were seeing the fullbacks bomb on under Emery, is this. We're seeing Xhaka slot into almost this role, which is almost like a, a left back, left centre back role where he kind of covers that space and he, he still fairly high up the pitch but he's almost aware of what Saka's left behind him and he's making sure that he plugs that hole and then you see the rest of the defense slightly shift over and you see Bellerin in fact tucking in alongside the center backs what that does though is it takes away from Bellerin's game on the right it takes away from Bellerin getting forward up and down the right hand side i think he's been a lot more conservative under Mikel Arteta. I'm not saying that he never gets forward, but he gets forward a lot less in my opinion under Mikel Arteta because Arteta wants to see this this little almost you know unit here of Ozil, Pepe, Saka, Aubameyang and Eketia in that final third. But that means that Bellerin cannot then go like that as well because it leaves us too exposed. So I think Bellerin has been tucking in uh, and that's absolutely fine. The problem, though, that Bellerin had at the weekend and Carlo Ancelotti made sure he exposed that was that when Arsenal were in this position, when Arsenal did lose the ball, you'd see Richarlison pulling out to this, uh, well, Everton's left, Arsenal's right, right onto the touchline. And, and then Everton will play that direct ball out to him each and every time. And once he receives the ball, he's got an age to get it under control, to look up, to drive inwards towards the Arsenal penalty area, purely because it's going to take some time for Bellerin to get out there. It's going to take time for Bellerin to get out there and, and, and make a challenge on Richarlison. And often when he does get out there, it's too late to commit yourself. So you kind of got to just try and hold him up. As I said, this is Arsenal, the way they start. They start this way with Xhaka in here, with Saka back um, at left back. But when Arsenal attack, Aubameyang does drift inside um, and Ketia does get the support from him. Saka does bomb on, and then Shaka tucks into that position. The problem is that we don't see the same on the right hand side because, quite frankly, we're not good enough to do it on both sides without being exposed. So I think Mikel Arteta is aware of that. When I say the team's lopsided, I, I I fully believe that he believes that, and that he knows that, and that in time he will try and put that right. But at this moment in time, that's how he feels. Arsenal can get that extra man forward, get that overload, but also stay. Um, wary of the transition. And I think Bellerin got a lot of stick because Richarlison was receiving the ball so much um in time and in space. But I think that was a tactical ploy. And Arsenal just kind of accepted that we're going to let him have the ball there if it means that as a unit we don't get outdone. Nicolas Pepe's performance was okay. Um, it wasn't fantastic. But again, I think he's a bit of a victim of this system and the way that Arteta wants Arsenal to, to move forward. Because where a Bamiang has that freedom to drift inside I don't think Pepe necessarily has as much of that. And that is because Bellerin is not getting forward and providing the overlap as often as Bukayo Saka does it on the left-hand side. Um, so I think there's there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to think about uh, in terms of that. But that's kind of my analysis as to where I believe um, Arsenal are in terms of the way they're tactically approaching games, the way they're looking to create those overloads on that left-hand side. I think that we have been better on the transition under Mikel Arteta than we were previously. I think we've lost a, a little bit going forward as a result of that. But I think in in uh, Mikel Arteta's mind, he will believe that Aubameyang drifting in is more beneficial than Pepe drifting in. And the goal records back that up. He'll also believe that Saka is maybe more effective in that final third than Bellerin. So that is why he sacrifices, in my opinion, um in my opinion, Bellerin. And there's a good point in the in the chat coming up now. Um, agreed, Arteta played Socrates at right back against Olympiakos. Exactly. He played Socrates there, and he has played Socrates there because he wants his right back to tuck in with the centre backs. And it's all about the left back getting forward. That backs up my point again. Um, that it's a tactical ploy, and that's why you see Socrates do that. And you don't see him maybe put Mustafi there or maitland Lenars there because he wants his right back to almost be like a third centre-back when Arsenal get forward. To manage that transition, that is so, so important uh, to Mikel Arteta at the moment. And um, it is proving, uh, you know, a positive for us because we're defending a lot better, we've got to say. that brings us to the end of uh, this edition of the podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you've enjoyed the tactical analysis. If you're watching uh, on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, like, share. If you're listening via the review and you didn't get a word of what I was saying on the tactical stuff, I tried to explain it, um, you know, audibly as best as possible. But if you didn't quite get what I was trying to say, head over to the YouTube video and you'll see the diagram there, uh, which I I use. Um, so, a big thank you to all of you for tuning in once again. Um, leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening via there, and uh, we'll be back soon with more content. Um, spread the word, and we'll be back soon. Cheers.